This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. I'm ready for this. And he's going to say, yeah, but I want you to do this. Because when you do this, instead of what you think you're ready for, it's not going to be you. It's going to be His Spirit working in you. And because of that, you and I are are taken at times into areas that stretch us to the point that we feel, I am going to break in the midst of this. God speaks to us and says, yeah, but in your breaking, I'll bring healing and I'll bring strength. God wants to use us. It's true. It's His desire to empower us by His grace to serve Him and others. But we have to be willing. We have to be flexible. We have to be open to His continued work in our lives. We need to realize that in the process of serving, we are still growing. We need to be willing to bend. As believers, God is using every situation and circumstance in our lives to mold us and make us into the disciples that He's calling us to be. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 1, for part one of our message entitled, The Persistence of Heaven's Hound. In chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, in other words, for you, okay, for you and me, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ." to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church, to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. You know, it never ceases to amaze me the length that God will go to call an individual or to call a people to himself. There is a tenacity about God that quite often we don't necessarily think about on a regular basis. But God in his purpose and his plan continues to work, continues to draw. The reality of the faithfulness of the Almighty, which is rarely seen except in retrospect. We'll look back at an individual who has come to Christ, and then we can say, oh, I see how God has moved there and there and there in their lives, or in my life, as he brought me to himself. But ordinarily, we'll look and we'll say, well, that individual is so far from the Lord, I don't see how the Lord is even working and moving in his life. But the reality is, is God does work. 
God is always at work. God is always revealing himself and making himself known to man. The unfortunate reality is is that man most often rebels and runs away from that and rejects the hope that Christ is giving. The mystery that Paul speaks of here is the hope of the gospel coming to the Gentiles, going beyond the Jews. God has a purpose. God has a plan. He's at work even today, even when we don't see it from our own vantage point. Paul begins chapter 3 with a, a pretty interesting phrase. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Paul declares that he was a prisoner, and, and in that declaration it was much more than the fact that he was in prison at that time and even as we began the study in ephesians i relayed to you the truth that paul was imprisoned in rome at that time it was a house arrest that he was under but it was during that time of house arrest that he wrote the book of ephesians the book of philippians the book of colossians and the book of philemon so here he says, not only as a prisoner of uh, being actually and truly in shackles, but he says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I believe that what Paul was declaring much more than the, the material shackles that he was bound by was the reality that he himself was bound to Christ. In others of his writings, he uses other words, doesn't he? He uses words such as, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a bondservant of the Lord. In essence, I'm a slave of the Lord. And, and quite often, this word, I am a prisoner of the Lord. All of these descriptions coming from a man who is fully and completely surrendered to the Lord in every aspect of his life. But you know, that's not the way that Paul always was. Previously, Paul had run from that truth of God's grace, the truth of God's love. But now he's become a man wholly surrendered to it. And now the Lord is using him as a messenger of that very same grace that he had rejected before. God's using him as a messenger of the love that he had run from in the past. It was in the late 1800s when a man by the name of Francis Thompson penned a rather lengthy poem. It's 182 lines worth of a poem. And it's a poem about the tenacity of God. Thompson was born in Lanchestershire, England, back in 1859. He was born to the family of a wealthy doctor. And his family had desired that he would enter into the ministry. The unfortunate thing is as he went into his ministry training, he failed. He failed out of the ministry and leaving the seminary, he thought, well, maybe the next best thing I could do is to please my father who was a doctor and I'll go into the medical field. And so he went on to the medical field or to, to training in the medical field. Unfortunately, he failed out of that too. Great disappointment, not only to himself, but also to his father. Well, after dropping out of medical school from Manchester University, he started doing odd jobs just to kind of make a living until finally he found himself a man of great potential, but now pretty much just a homeless wanderer on the streets of London. And for the most part, as he, his life suddenly became controlled by fleshly appetites, he became addicted to alcohol and to opium. And for the most part, if, if that would have continued on in Thompson's life, he would have ended up just another dead body on a back alley in the streets of London. But as God would have it, God was working on his life even then. 
there was a couple that met Thompson and got to know him and saw a great potential even in his life at that point. Because you see, during that time of street wandering and homelessness, quite often Thompson would find himself in the libraries of the city. And there in the libraries, he would read and he would write. And this is where he began writing the poetry that he's known for. It was during that time that he began to recognize how an individual can run but never fully hide from the call and the love of God. He never really fully recovered from the brokenness in his life. But in his later years, he wrote really what became his most famous work, the poem some of you may know of. It's called The Hound of Heaven. Again, very lengthy, but in that, he describes the work of God, the Spirit of God, pursuing that wandering and lost soul. His opening lines of this poem, the whole poem is written in 19th century English, okay? So it's, it's a little bit difficult for us to, to really hear it and understand it on the fly. But as he writes in that 19th century English, it kind of sets a haunting tone to what he's speaking of. He writes at the beginning of the poem, I fled him. Down the nights and down the days, I fled him. Down the arches of the years, I fled him. Down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears, I hid from him an underrunning laughter. Of vested hopes I sped and shot, precipitated, down titanic glooms of abysmal fears. From those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace. Deliberate speed and majestic instancy they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. Throughout this poem, Thompson writes of the multitude of places. He, he sought for peace. He sought for comfort. He sought for love. He even sought for just, just friendship outside of the presence of God and how empty all of those efforts left him. He goes on later on in the poem, he writes, Nigh and nigh draws the chase with unperturbed pace, deliberate speed and majestic instancy, and past those noised feet a voice comes yet more fleet. Lo, not contends thee who contendest not in me. Now this is the part that in that 19th century English that what in the world did he say? In essence, what he's saying is the voice that's speaking to him now speaks and says, nothing will bring you contentment if you're not content in me. Nothing will bring you contentment in your life if you're not content in Christ. Finally, in the end, he realizes the feebleness of all of the rejection as once more that voice of God calls out to him. And he writes these words. Again, as the Lord is speaking to him, The Lord speaks, all foolish, blindest, weakest. I am he whom thou seekest. Thou drovest love from thee who drove away me. So in other words, as you drove me out of your life, you drove love out of your life, the emptiness. Someone, again, in trying to bring a simple explanation of the whole poem, writes this. He says, as the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing near in the chase with unhurrying and unperturbed pace, so does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. 
And though in sin or in human love, away from God it seeks to hide itself, divine grace follows after, unwearingly follows ever after, till the soul feels its pressure forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. I believe personally when I read this, where Paul is continually speaking about that he's a servant, he's a bondservant, he's a slave, he is a prisoner of Christ. That Paul understands, man, I am totally, 100% sold out now to that one that I ran from for so long. That I thought that I was doing the right thing and the good thing in my pursuit of other things. But it wasn't until God intercepted his life, revealed himself to Paul, made himself known, that Paul understood everything else is empty. Everything else is worthless. I am now surrendered wholly and completely. He was a prisoner of Christ, but he was a prisoner of Christ for a purpose. He was called for a purpose. And he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for what? For you Gentiles. He goes on in verse 2, he says, If you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written about, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Again, what, what an amazing work of God in, in Paul's life. That Paul was going to be the one that was going to reveal the fact that even you Gentiles are open to the call of God. That even you who weren't born of the chosen people, God desires you to follow him too. This is the mystery that Paul was revealing to them. But what an interesting thing that God would use Paul. Why was Paul, of all people, called to minister to the Gentiles? Paul, in his own words, told the church of Philippi how entrenched he was as a Jew. He was a Jew of the Jews. He tells the Philippian church, he says, Man, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. And yet it was the very hound of heaven that continued to pursue him in order that he might represent the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles who were a people who had no clue. They, they had no clue about the word of God. They had no clue about the kingdom of God. They had no clue about the promises of God. The fact is, is they had no clue about God. They, they worshipped all these pagan gods. Every other god they would come and follow just, I mean, just as fast as they could toward these pagan gods. But the one true God they knew nothing about. And Paul says this was the mystery of Christ. In verse 5 he goes on, Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So I said a little bit earlier, prior to this, that the Jews felt that they were very exclusive. They and they alone were the chosen people of God. What they didn't realize was that God wasn't finished when he called them. It's kind of like, well, you know, I came to glory, I'm saved, sorry about you, kind of an attitude that was there. But God wasn't finished. God was calling others to himself also. There were others that needed to know. There were others down through the arches of the years, down through the labyrinthine ways, 
who needed to know the love of the Savior. The Gentiles were people that were just totally separated from the knowledge and from the understanding of God. And yet Paul was called to be the one to teach them. This teacher of the law, this Hebrew of the Hebrews, this Pharisee God called to teach the Gentiles. But you know what? He didn't call Paul to teach the Gentiles the law of Israel. He didn't call Paul to to bring the the Gentiles up to speed, in essence, with with the Jews, so that now you can join with us in, in understanding of the law. No, he called Paul, who had previously been one who would have been a teacher of the law, now to teach the Gentiles not the law, but to teach them grace. What an amazing thing that is. Taking someone who is so deep in the law and say, yeah, but that's not what I'm going to use you for. I'm going to use you for something totally different. God certainly seems to have a sense of humor at times, doesn't he? God used a solid, well-versed, devout Jew to go to the Gentiles. The one who formerly he would have considered dogs. The ones that to his culture, they would have been the untouchables. But you know what? One of the things that I've come to understand as I get older in the Lord and just older in years that more often than not, that, that seems to be God's uh, MO, God's modus operandi, God's method of operation. That God's going to do something in your life and in my life totally different than what we expect him to do. I'm ready for this. And he's going to say, yeah, but I want you to do this. Because when you do this instead of what you think you're ready for, it's not going to be you. It's going to be his spirit working in you. And because of that, you and I are are taken at times into areas that stretch us to the point that we feel, I am going to break in the midst of this. God speaks to us and says, yeah, but in your breaking, I'll bring healing and I'll bring strength. It was back in the 1950s when God led this not very successful young preacher boy from a small little church in a small little town in Pennsylvania to go to the mean streets of New York City. Risking his very life, he went into those neighborhoods to minister the love of Jesus to the street gangs of Brooklyn. This is the story of David Wilkerson. He went into those gang-owned neighborhoods, the areas where the police wouldn't even go for fear of their own life. He went in there and he faced people that most of the other gangs wouldn't even mess with. People like a fellow by the name of Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz's own mother called Nicky the son of Satan. That's how rough the situation was there. Back then, Cruz was the gang leader of the feared Mau Mau gang. The Mau Maus were the fiercest, most vicious gang of their time and of their place. Well, literally, with his life on the line and yet a heart of love, armed with only his Bible and the straightforward message of the gospel, Wilkerson went into these streets and into these alleyways and began ministering to these gang members. Wilkerson was able, because God enabled him, Wilkerson was able to lead crews and and a multitude of others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But before those conversions, there was a multitude of threats and, yes, even beatings that he had to go through 
in order to be able to share with them the truth of that message. Before his conversion, Cruz had threatened Wilkerson's life on multiple occasions, had, uh, had slapped him around on multiple occasions, and at one point in time had threatened to cut him with his knife. And Wilkerson, undoubtedly man in his flesh, fearful, but yet by the Spirit of God, was able to speak to Nicky Cruz and says, Yeah, Nicky, you could cut me with your knife. You could cut me into a thousand pieces and lay those pieces out on the street. But, Nikki, you need to understand that when you lay those pieces out, every piece will cry out to you, Nikki, Jesus loves you. Nikki didn't know how to handle that kind of love. He didn't know how to handle that kind of tenacity, that kind of just continual work. And that was the work of God working in Wilkerson. Well, later, Wilkerson and, and Cruz together, they established and they ran the, the addiction recovery program we know now as Teen Challenge. And even within our own city, we have the Home of Hope, which was a branch of Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge ministers to men, women, young people, as well as adults all around not only our country, but around the nation. You see, the Hound of Heaven had plans both for Wilkerson and for Cruz. God, through Wilkerson, used that one man who was willing to go where he was uncomfortable to do what others said could never be done, to draw another man who was running through the nights and down the days, down the arches of the years, down the labyrinthine ways, and share with him the truth of God's grace and love. And because of that, a multitude were changed. Just as God had used Paul to touch the untouchable Gentiles, God used David Wilkerson to minister grace and mercy to the mercifulness. And just as he also worked in Cruz's life, these vicious gang members, to share with them the love and forgiveness of Christ. A decade or so later, in the mid-60s, a similar story was being worked out in Southern California, where this straight-laced, suit-and-tie, small-town, not-so-successful preacher by the name of Chuck Smith Smith had been a pastor of several floundering churches over his ministerial experience of about 15 years. When the Lord directed him to the beach community of Corona, California, Chuck admits freely that at that time he didn't care much about the people like the beach bums and the hippies of Southern California. As a matter of fact, in his own words, his private thoughts were, why don't they just go get cleaned up, get a haircut, and get a job, and they'll be fine. But you know what? God wasn't finished working on Chuck Smith, and neither was he finished working on those beach bums and those hippies. The hound of heaven was still at work. God had placed a burden on the heart of Chuck's wife, Kay, and Kay, having this God-led compassion on these young people, she had convinced Chuck that they needed to start praying for them. As a matter of fact, on a regular basis, she, quote, encouraged Chuck to drive her to the beach so that they could just begin praying for them and watching them and speaking with them. Through those prayers and because of God's design and God's purpose in Chuck's life, the Holy Spirit began changing his heart. Changed the heart of that straight-laced preacher to have a true heart of compassion and love for those that he used to disdain. Score another one for the hound of heaven. It was at the height of the Vietnam War when God called Smith to begin this ministry of the hope and the peace of the gospel to these hippies, to these beach bums of Southern California. By that time, 
Calvary Chapel had moved to Costa Mesa and their church began to explode literally as they were on the forefront of what's called the Jesus People Movement. And as they themselves saw hundreds of thousands of these young people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And just as the hound of heaven moved in the heart of a man like Paul to be able to minister to a group of people like the Gentiles, people that he had earlier disdained, God moved in the heart of Chuck Smith, gave birth to a movement that today has over 1,500 Calvary chapels around our nation and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more around the world. It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com. And follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter, The Open Word Radio, or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.